0: A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the New Year and a New Year message, and I emphasized the importance of learning to define our words. I gave you the, the description that meanings are in people, which means that if we don't define the words that we are using, the people that are listening to us will define them for us. And what happens is our expectation of a word and their expectation of a word may be two different things. And so communication in that instant fails where there is frustration or there is difficulty in understanding. And so there's a problem there. And I didn't mention it, but one of the most difficult places where you find this need to define the terms is in marriage, is in relationships. Because one of the first things that you learn once you get in a long-term relationship, or once you get married, is that men and women define terms differently. And what you may think as a man is one thing that your wife or your significant other may think is another thing. Let me give you some examples. Uh, when, when you say, uh, what do you want to do tonight? What's going on? And you say, well, I want to watch TV. Now, watching TV to a man is totally different than watching TV with a woman. That's why, as people have been married longer and longer, you have a TV in the bedroom and a TV in the living room, so that instead of having that conflict, you can watch differently. Let me explain how that happens. What happens is, well, first of all, the issue is the remote. Whoever has the remote has the control, and that is the point of contention. So you argue over who gets the remote, and the reason the remote is important is because it is the indicator of how we watch TV, I've shared with you before when we talked about men and women in marriage uh, that men are visually stimulated. Men see things visually and make decisions on things first time visually. And so when a man watches TV, they will get the remote and they will flip through it as fast as they can. Because they don 't need to hear the story, they don 't need to know what the, the title of the show is. they can tell within a quick glimpse whether it 's going to be worth their time. so a husband will sit down and they 'll begin to just flip, 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 and the wife does what? wait, 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 what what was that? What was that? What was that? Because you see, women are emotionally stimulated, which means they need to get involved in it. And so a man is flipping through, that's watching TV, and if he he leaves it there for a few minutes and it doesn't visually stimulate him very quickly, he's changing it again. You see, a woman, they want to leave it on every channel for a few minutes to see if the story pulls them in, right? That drives men crazy because a woman will turn and, let's just see what this is. And a man's going, I know what it is. It's not what I want to watch, right? And so watching TV means something totally different. Another point of conflict that happens in men and women and how they communicate differently is is shopping. Now, when you say the word shopping, shopping means a totally different thing to a man than it means to a woman, amen? Some of you recognize that. And and let me just say this, because women say all the time, men hate shopping. My husband hates shopping. Men do not hate shopping. It is something that we do. We just do it very, very differently than you. When a man is going shopping, he first of all decides what he needs. Then he decides who has what he needs. Then he goes to the place that has what he needs. He goes straight to where the item is that he needs. He gets it. He goes back to his car and he goes home. That's shopping. The only conflict that happens in that process is if they don't have what you needed at the place you thought they did. Because then you're left with a a conflict of do you venture out and go unplanned to somewhere else to see if they have it? Or do you go home and regroup? That's the man's idea of shopping. We do it all the time. But you see, when women say shopping, they don't necessarily mean going to get something. They are talking about an outdoor adventure, a costly adventure. It is an experience for them. And you see, the thing I've learned is that if women say, and women will leave the house with something, like a man. man says, I need a pair of pants. I know where I'm going to get my pair of pants. I know the size. I know the color. I'm going to get those pairs. Well, women will leave with the same indication. They will know why they are leaving the house to get something specific. But with a woman, if they only come home with that specific item, it was not a success because they didn't shop. They didn't get to do anything that they wanted. And so as a good husband, when I first got married, I thought, well, I'm going to try to go shopping with my wife. Let me just tell you, if you've been married longer than a year, because in the first year, you're goo-goo, you'll do stupid things. But after a first year, don't go shopping with your wife. Because what you will find very quickly is you will be sitting with the old man in the the middle of the benches watching people go by. And people watching is much more fun than shopping with your wife. But I decided I was going to go. And so we went and after hours and hours of looking and looking and I was getting so frustrated and I was ready to go join the old man, I finally thought, well, I want to help. I said, "Let, let me ask you something, honey. What are we looking for? And she came back with a very distinguished and wise answer, I don't know. (laughs) Well, see, in my mind, if you don't know what you're looking for, how will you know when you find it, right? And so I just suggested that to her. How will we ever know when shopping ends if we are not looking for something definitive? And she gave me this answer, I will know it when I see it. That is a conflict waiting to happen in a marriage. So avoid it at all possible. But what I've discovered in life and in, especially in our culture today, that continues to be a struggle, not just in relationships, but in every area of our lives. What we're seeing with adults and young adults especially is is they're out there saying, well, I'm looking for the perfect person to be in a relationship with, or I'm looking for the perfect Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And you ask them, well, what are you looking for? They'll say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'll know it when I find it. Well, that's a problem. If you haven't distinguished and defined what you're looking for, you may never find it or you may compromise what you expected to find in the first place. And they do it with jobs. You know, when when I was growing up, most people held one or two jobs their entire lives. You know, nowadays they say that the average person that's getting in the workforce at 22 or 23 years old, or 25 or 30, since they're getting in later, uh, the average person will have changed jobs 14 times by the time they retire. Because what happens is people go and they say, well, I'm going to try this, and and maybe this is what I want to do. And and they get into a job, and they look for a career, but they can never find contentment because they really don't know what it is they're looking for. And that bleeds over into our religious life and our spiritual life. You have people that are always going from church to church to church, or, or they drop out of church. Or they're looking for whatever is new or whatever is the greatest buzz or whatever is out there, something that may stimulate them in a different way than the church that they were at will do. And they're always looking for something, but they don't know what they're looking for. And the response to not knowing what you're looking for is you'll never find it. And because of that, and especially because in the last year and a half, we have had so many people join our church and become a part of our church I like to for every year every year and a half discuss who we are as First Baptist Church I like to discuss our vision for a church what it is that defines us as a church what our heartbeat is what our passion is what our purpose is who we are what we're about and what makes us different from other churches So this morning, I want to spend a little time defining who we are as a church and what makes us First Baptist Church of Blowing Rock. Now, it goes without saying that we believe that the New Testament teaches that every believer, every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, needs to be connected or tied in or committed to a local church body. See, the Bible tells us that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, whenever you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he took your old life and created a new life within you. And whether you knew it or not, whether you made a plan for it or not, whether you wanted to or not, at that moment, you became a part of the universal body of believers known as Christians. You became a part of the church, big T, big C, the church, universal. It's not Baptist or Episcopal or uh, charismatic or non-denominational. It is the church that Jesus Christ established when he gave his life for us. Because Christ knew, and the Bible tells us that you and I were not created to do the Christian life on our own. We were created to be in community. And all that the New Testament writers tell us is how difficult it is to do the life that Christ called us to. How difficult it is to take this scripture and apply it to my life, to apply it to my everyday actions. So one of the helps that Jesus established was I'm going to surround you with other believers, some who are further than you, some who are less than you in the spiritual journey, but we're going to encourage each other and bless each other and support each other and strengthen each other. And that is not. Known as the church. But the New Testament teaches that there is something local, that local body of believers that is connected to that church, but is local. Something that you can be plugged into on a weekly basis, on an everyday basis, to support you and to help you learn to live the gospel out, but also to spread the gospel. It's the purpose of the church. Now, in the New Testament, every time that you see that word church, Every time that you see it interpreted as church, that is the Greek word ecclesia, which you may have heard it pronounced ecclesia. It's ecclesia, is how it's actually pronounced. But ecclesia is where we get the direct definition of church. And ecclesia simply means those who were called out for a purpose. So anytime that he says church, he is talking about those within the body of Christ who have been set aside for God's purposes, for God's use, who have a purpose on their life, but they have been called out from culture, called out from society. But that doesn't doesn't give us a real definition of what the church is. It doesn't really explain who we are supposed to be, except that we're called out. And so all throughout the New Testament, the different writers give these metaphors and analogies of what they say the church is. And let me just give you some of those analogies. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 that the church is a holy nation, which is our way of identifying that those who are a part of the church, the local and the universal church, are part of a new nation. That our allegiance is not to the United States of America or to a politician or to the state of North Carolina. We are allegiant to those things as long as we live in that area to follow their laws. But our ultimate allegiance is to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We are a holy nation. And so my, my allegiance is ultimately to God. John refers to it in Revelation 5 as the kingdom to recognize that Jesus Christ is our King of kings and our Lord of lords, that we are in a new kingdom, that we are a holy nation. Jesus refers to the church as a vine, which helps us to understand how we are connected to one another and how we grow together, but also connected to him. He also calls it in Ephesians 6, his bride, which is probably the highest compliment that you can give the church. Because you see, what Jesus says in comparing the church's love for Christ and Christ's love for the church to a husband and a wife is he is saying that we are his first love. And you recognize that by calling it the bride, that it opens up all of those bridal illustrations that he gives in the parables to recognize that, that he's talking about the church and the church being ready. It's called in Hebrews the assembly or the gathered group. It's an assembly, it, it, so it recognizes that there must be, as a church, a time when we come together. When you leave this place, we sing family of God, and the reason we do that is because the church is going to be scattered. So for, for six days a week, we are scattered. You are at your house, and your work, and your school, and you're out there somewhere else, but there is a time when the church is supposed to be coming together, and that's why I called it the assembly. The assembly. First Peter calls it a flock, comparing it to sheep, saying that we need a shepherd and we need protection and we need somebody to help feed us and somebody to help relate to us. Probably the most, most well-known illustration of the church is the one that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians. He compares the church to the body. He says, we are like a body, all connected with Christ as the head. And every person in the body is interdependent on one another. If you cut off a part of the body, it will die. If you're not working together with the rest of the body, there is dysfunction and not healthy. And so he says, we are like a human body in that we are all connected. and are, We all are connected to the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we all have the same purpose and the same goals. And all of those are great illustrations, and all of those talk about who we are as a church here at First Baptist Church of Brewing Rock. But this morning, I wanted to look at a passage that is from Colossians, but it's not just found in Colossians. It's also found, it's almost identical in Ephesians, it's almost identical in Romans, and it's almost identical in Galatians because it was something that Paul always talked about when he talked about the body of Christ, and he compared the church to a family. He said, the church is like a family. We don't all always agree. We don't always get along. We don't all have the same ideas and hopes and dreams. But it is a love that connects us together, that motivates us to be who God called us to be in this community. So I want you to listen. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read starting in verse 11. He says, here there is no Greek or Jew. He's here he's talking about the church. There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, for Christ is in all and is in all, and Christ is all. What he's laying out is that in the body of Christ, there is no hierarchy. There is no spiritual headship. There is, I am not more spiritually important than you are in the body of Christ. Do you understand that? Peter says that there is a priesthood of the believers, that you are a priest yourself. We don't don't need a high priest Jesus Christ is the only one that comes between us and God and every person in this room can come to Christ on equal footing doesn't matter how much money you make doesn't matter where your job is or your background or your heritage or the denomination you grew up in we are all equal in the eyes of Jesus Christ so he was emphasizing that in this family, it doesn't matter if you were the firstborn or the lastborn. If you were a male, if you were a female, in this family, everyone counts. Everyone is important. Therefore, and because everyone is important, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you are, you are chosen of God, the church of Jesus Christ. He said, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So that should be the mark of the church. The way you should be able to determine what the church is living and acting and becoming is how we live out compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. He gives an illustration. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have with one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of those virtues, we need to put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. He is saying that all of those things flow out of the love that Jesus Christ has put in our heart. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. I love that little tag-on sentence there. And be thankful. See, our heart, the reason we worship, the reason we come together and do the things that we do is an act of thanksgiving. It is what motivates us to be thankful for all that God has done for us. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Study the Word of God. The church should be grounded on the Word of God. That's what Jesus told Peter when Peter asked him, you know, who do people say that I am? Jesus asked him, and some said, you're Elijah, or some said, you're a prophet. And Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ. Christ means the anointed one. And he said, you didn't get that from, from studying. That came from somewhere else. The Holy Spirit gave you that word. And Jesus said, it's upon that word I will build my church. Not upon Peter he will build his church, upon that confession. What was his confession? You are the Christ. See, everything we do is grounded in the truth of the word of God. He said, let it dwell richly in you as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him a powerful picture of who the church should be now we're not like that all the time but that's our goal that's our vision that's our purpose and so what we do as a church is we put together a purpose statement to motivate us because we can't put all of that stuff in our purpose statement it doesn't doesn't sound good it, it, people will get lost in it so how do we encapsulate all of that into helping people in the church understand what our goal is Where we're going, well, we create a purpose statement. Now, before I talk about that, let me just mention quickly, there is never mentioned in the New Testament when it comes to the church, never. There's not a biblical precedent, there is no encouragement, there is not an example, there is no support for a person who calls himself a Christian to exist apart from the local church. You were created to be connected to the local church body. You cannot do church apart from the church. You can't grow spiritually. It would be like cutting your finger off and placing it on the counter in your house and hoping that it continues to grow and be healthy. It won't. And I know people today say, well, I can do church at home just like I do at church. You can study the Bible at home. You can worship at home. But you can't be the church at home. Because the church is the people around you included in your family. It is having people that you disagree with the rest of the time coming together and loving each other and rubbing up against each other and helping each other become more like Jesus Christ. There's no place where you can be part of the body and not be a part of the church. The people that tell you now, you hear it's a big buzzword, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. I want to follow Jesus, but I just I don't want to go to church. Listen, there is no legalistic requirement to go to church. We don't take up role here. We don't have you mark your name. God's not up in heaven with a attendance sheet, wondering how many times that you came. He's just not. But the church is Jesus' first love. And you can't love Jesus and not love the things that Jesus loves. And Jesus, on his list of things that he loves, the very first one is the church. So how can you say, I love Jesus, but I just don't love what he loves more than anything else? You can't. They go together. Now, the church is a hot mess. I'll be the first to admit it. I've been working in church now for 35 years. And I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly. But that's because the church is a hospital for sick people. It's not a place to achieve perfection. It's not a place where when we all figure it out, then we can gather together. We are figuring it out on our own and then coming together and trying to help each other figure it out. And in that place, it's a mess. Listen, most of our our homes are dysfunctional, right? My house has been dysfunctional more times than it's been functional. Because we're all trying to figure life out in, in a, a small group. And everybody's trying to push and shove and become who they want to become. And that pushes against somebody else. And so when you come into a church, that's the same thing. It's just like a family. You're trying to figure out life and other people are trying to figure out life. And you had a great morning and they had a horrible morning. And so they look at you mean. You can't get offended and walk away. You can't get mad because something didn't go the way that you wanted. Because the church is a mess. It's easy to make excuses on why you don't want to be a part of the church. But it's very hard to find a biblical excuse. Matter of fact, it's impossible because there's no such thing. Which brings me back to our purpose statement. Hopefully you've seen it. Heard it, read it, it's on our order of service, it's on our webpage, it's on the stuff that we have, it's on the screen behind me. Uh, Hopefully, if you've been here for any amount of time, you have heard what our purpose statement is. That we, as a goal, want to be a place where people can belong, where people can believe, and people can become. And that's more than just a catchphrase. That's not something that we talked to a marketing company and said, Can y'all come up? Look, here's this verse, and this verse, and this verse. Can you squeeze that down into three quick statements? It's something we prayed about. It's something that as God called me here 15 years ago and said, What kind of church do you want to pastor? What kind of church do you think is going to reach not just Blowing Rock, but Watauga County and outside this county for the cause of Jesus Christ? What kind of church will be a light in the darkness for the next decade or more? It is going to be a church that I think fits within these parameters. And so as I prayed about it, these are the things that we came up with, and uh, these are the things that drove us. Because you understand, when you come to church, you may visit a church, because it has great preaching or great music or a great children's ministry or it's down the street or it's local. But those cannot be reasons why you stay at a church. Because every one of those things can change. Every one of those things can change very quickly. But you see, what keeps you at a church is its purpose, is its vision, is its heart. Let me just tell you who we're not. First of all, we're not a huge church. I've served in mega churches. I've served in big churches. We're not a mega church. We're what's known as a medium sized church in the Southern Baptist realm. Churches that run between 300 and 500, those are medium to large churches. That's where we fit. But we're not a big church, which means we can't do all the bells and whistles that some other churches do. We can't do all the programs that other churches do. And we're not going to try because if another church does something better than us, then we shouldn't spend our money on it. We should send you to go over and be a part of that program when you're not here. That's how churches work together. But we are committed that the programs that we have, the things that we do, children's ministry and student ministry and worship ministry and missions, those things that we do, we are going to do them to the best of our ability and offer excellence in that. And not only in that, but we're also not a perfect church, starting with the pastor. We're not a perfect church. I blow it. I make mistakes. We all mess up. We all fail. We all fall. There is no perfect church because there are no perfect people. But the one thing that we find in this church is that through the mess and through the dysfunction, we love and support one another and we lift each other up. Because I believe what the world is looking for, what people around us are looking for, is first of all a place to belong. See, the word belong means to be attached, to be attached by birth, by allegiance or dependency. See, we are attached. We belong to one another because we were born by the same blood, the blood that's Jesus Christ. See, you you may not be my brother or sister by birth, but you are my brother and sister by rebirth. And that tie joins us together. We become dependent on one another one thing i found in ministry all these years is that people all over the world and all over our community are looking for a place to belong. They spend outrageous amounts of money to join clubs and to join groups or, or to find a, a group of people so that they can fit in or find a place to belong. Cottage students, teenagers longing to belong says this under our purpose statement on To Belong, we are a collection of seekers, searchers, and sinners, all pursuing the incredible journey that comes from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. See, in that description, I think any one of you fit. And we're looking for what? For community, community. We're looking for a place to belong in a community where we can raise our kids together and we can see our kids get older together and we can grow old together and we can do life together through the ups and through the downs and through the hits and through the misses and through the mistakes and through the problems. No matter what goes on in my life, I'm not embarrassed about what's happening because I know that in the body of Christ, people love me and they support me and I belong because we're family. You see, the belonging in the body of Christ is not based on your skin color or your politics or where you work or your school or your denomination or your church affiliation. As I said earlier, in this church, I'm so excited because we have black and white and red and brown, Republicans and Democrats and blue collar and white collar and no collar and Methodist and Baptist, charismatic. We have lifelong Blowing Rock residents. We have temporary Blowing Rock residents. We have part-time people. We have people that are coming into this area. We have people from Blowing Rock. We have people from Deep Gap. We have people from Bethel, from Bannerette, from Hickory, from Charlotte, from Florida, even from Texas that have all come together to fit in here not because we cheer for the same team or we make the same amount of money or we drive the same kind of car or we're the same skin color, but because we have found community within the body of Christ and we belong here. I love it that we have people that are seasonal residents. Let me just say something, seasonal residents, because a lot of them watch us online. We have a couple hundred people that join us that are here in the summer that have second homes or third homes or people that come here. I love, we have people that come every year. They're here three weeks or four weeks. They have a condo, and they stay for a month. But they come to church every Sunday when they're here. And they say, this is my family. This is my community. The rest of the year, I am somewhere else doing something else. When I'm here, I'm committed and connected. I love that because we've created an atmosphere where if you're only going to be here three times a year, you still feel like you fit. When people ask you, why do you go to First Baptist Blowing Rock? My goal is the first answer that you would give them is because I belong. Not because of the preacher or because of the children's ministry or because of worship or because it's where my parents went. I go to that church because it's my family and it's where I belong. See, if you're looking for a place to get lost, if you're looking for a place to come and come to church and slip in and out, this is not the place because people are going to love you. And if you're not here, they're going to wonder where you are. Not because they're nosy and not because we check roll, because they're worried about you. If you're looking for a place that you can just come and be one of many and sit and, and not worry about anything else, it's not the place for you. Because we believe that God has called every person here for a reason, a purpose. Maybe it's just because you need to come and heal. And this is the place you need to come and heal. We want to be a place where you can heal from hurt, from churches that hurt you, or pastors that hurt you, or other people that hurt you, or whatever it is that burns you out. We want you to come and be able to heal here. But we also want you to get better to the point that you can get back in the game. This is a place where you can belong. If you haven't found a place to belong, welcome home to First Baptist Growing Rock. But we're not just a place to belong. We're also a place to believe. You see, we strive to be a place where you can come together and know and hear the Word of God. Where first and foremost of everything we do is the Word of God being taught and proclaimed and preached. And the way that I preach is not indoctrination. It's education. So you're not going to hear me come and say, you must believe this. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says and then say, go look in the Word of God and prove it. Be a Berean. Study for yourself. But the Word of God is going to be our sole source of authority. When somebody says right and wrong, true or not, it's going to come down to what the Word of God is. And that is going to be what you hear every week here. I'm sorry, there are going to be times that will make you mad. There are going to be times that won't make you happy. And and let me just tell you, sometimes I'm happy for that. People say, You made me mad, preacher. Amen. Because guess what? When I'm preparing that sermon, it made me mad. Because God stomped on me. Before I could ever get up here and tell you what the Word of God says, God's worked me over and he's rendered me aside and he's made me angry to the point. That I said, God, I'm not preaching that this week. And he said, it's not up to you. That's why I preach expository because there are a lot of times I'd like to say, well, I'm going to leave that out. You know that verse that talks about gluttony? Well, that Krispy Kreme illustration I've got, I'm leaving that out this week. But I preach the whole counsel of God. So if you're looking for a place where you can believe what the truth of the Word of God says and that the Word of God can change and challenge your life to help you develop spiritually, that's who we hope to become. That when you come here, your kids are not getting babysat. Your teenagers are not getting entertained. They are going to be taught the stories of the Word of God and it's going to be ingrained in them. They're going to learn Scripture. They're going to be challenged to grow, challenged to encourage you to grow. That's what the church is called to do. This needs to be a place where marriages can be strengthened and can be nurtured, where all of us are at different levels. We want this to be a place of freedom and worship. It's what it means to to believe that there's not legalism here. You can worship however you want as long as it doesn't infringe on the person next to you. So if you want to sit, you can sit. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to raise your hand, you can raise your hand. If you want to shout amen, you can shout amen. If you want to be silent and not move, you're good to it. Because we're not going to judge you. Because we believe that whatever God is doing, it starts in the heart. Not by our expression. And if it's not in the heart, it doesn't mean if you're, matter if you're standing or sitting or bowing or crying or yelling or hollering or dancing. Because if it's not in the heart, all that's fake. And we want you to have the freedom to find it in the heart so that you can express it with your worship. We want you to be able to worship in spirit and truth. We're not about styles. We really aren't. We're not about checking off a list of saying, we need to sing this many songs or this many songs. We need to have that instrument or this instrument. We're about trying to find what fits the message that week and what can our people worship with. Freedom and truth. We're here to hold you accountable. We're here so that you will know that God has an expectation for you. That God expects you to be better, to grow more, to study His Word, to apply it. We hope if you're looking for a place to believe that you can understand that not only can you be community, not only can you come and hear the Word of God, but the last thing, We want you to become a place that you can become who God's called you and created you to be. See, the New Testament teaches that we are in a tension between who we are in being in Jesus Christ and who we are becoming in Jesus Christ. And it's in that tension that most Christians struggle. See, you can come and you can belong and be a part of the community. and You can believe and you can be growing. But if you are not serving and using the gifts and the things that God's teaching you, you will grow stagnant. Like Like a sponge that just soaks in water and soaks in water and soaks in water and never gets wrung out. What happens? The sponge becomes useless. And so, so many churches are filled with people that just come and sit. And they say, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn. And all that's important. And I'm going to belong and I'm going to be community and I'm going to love. And all that's important. But if you are not becoming who Jesus Christ saved you to be, you will never get to the place where you can begin to grow spiritually. Because the Bible says that God created you for a purpose, a reason. What is that purpose? We talked about it last week. Paul saying, I, I run to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Why is God leaving you here on earth? See, if you didn't have a purpose, listen, if you didn't have a purpose, God would have taken you home. Because most of us mess up the gospel more than we help the gospel, right? If you looked at my life, and I've been in ministry for 35 years, I've probably done more hurting the gospel through my behavior and through attitudes and through things that I did in my past than I ever have done to advance the gospel. Because that's just human. Because we have an old nature that we're fighting with. So why in the world, if God knew that I was going to be a hot mess sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, why does he leave me? Why didn't he just say, Rusty, time up. Come on, you made a mess of it. Come home, why? Because he still has a purpose for me. Because there's still a reason because there's one more person that I can share the gospel with. There's one more person I can encourage to get up off the couch and begin to serve and do what God's calling me to. And I am not the only one. You are the same way doesn't matter if you're 16 or 80. God's not done with you. He has a reason for you. So we want to become a church where you can discover what that reason is through being in ministry. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's ministering to one of our age groups. Maybe it's singing or playing an instrument or praying or worshiping or leading a Bible study or going out into the community and and reaching people in the community. That's why I tell people all the time, if we are not doing what God has called you to do and gifted you to do, you come meet with me and we'll start doing it. But if you come to me and say, listen, God's put this on my heart. Guess what I'm going to tell you? You're the new leader. You take it and run with it. We'll send people to support you and we'll financially support you. Because I want you to become who God created you to be. Why? Because it's in that place you can feel the most fulfilled the most doing what God called me to do, using your gifts. People ask me all the time, if you're new here, you may not know, I'm very introverted, Uh, very introverted to to the point of it being scary where my wife says I'm a homebody, that I never want to leave the house. And that's the reality of who I am scared to death to meet people i would i would rather go to the dentist every day for a week than to go into a house or a party of people that i don't know that's how much fear i mean literally i've been preaching here 15 years every sunday most sundays for every every sunday i sit in my office and i have to pray lord i don't want to go do that i'm scared to death I'm scared to death. People say, you still get I still get nervous. I still get scared to stand up in front of a group of people. But the moment I stand and I begin to preach and I begin to share and I begin to use the gifts that I know that God gave me, do you know what happens? There is the most fulfilling sense that I've ever felt in my life because I recognize that I'm using what God gave me for his glory. And here's the key. God has something like that for you. Maybe just loving on kids. It may be just ministering to other people. But you can get to that place where you can find the most fulfillment of your life and your career to say, I'm doing what God. We want to be the church that helps you discover that. We want to be a place where God is pulling together everything He's called us to to belong, to believe, and to become. See, I think that's what this community is looking for. I think that's what makes a difference. People say, well, when they come to this church, they say, you have the most welcoming group and you're so loving. That's not something that happened overnight. It's not something that we just flipped a switch. It's something that we've worked on for years and years. Because I want people to come here, even if it's their first time, even if it's their only time, to know that you are not going to come into this building and leave this building without somebody saying hi, somebody shaking your hand, somebody hugging you, and somebody telling you that you're loved. And it's not because I have to remind people to do it every week. It's because we've developed a community where we're family. And if this is the only time you're ever here, you're part of our family. Over 65 times... In the New Testament, the Bible uses the term one another. 65 times. One another or each other. It says in the New Testament we're to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear with each other's burdens, forgive each other, submit to each other, be devoted to one another. If there's one thing that the New Testament is really trying to get across, it's that you and I are to be in a community. Each other. If you found a place to belong, a place that you can believe, and a place that you can become who God's called you to be, well, if not, welcome home. And if you have, then it's time to help other people discover what God is creating in our family. I believe people not only are looking for hope in Jesus Christ, but they're looking for help from the body of Christ. And that's only going to come from a healthy church, serving and seeking and loving. That's who I want us to be. When people say First Baptist Blowing Rock, that's the definition I want to be explained. Let's pray.